Welcome everybody to the Steadcast. Now today we have a special episode. If anything, we have the episode. It's the, epi- the big one. The episode that since we have started this podcast, since what started as Let's be honest, this podcast started as a bit of an inside joke and got really serious really quickly. Pretty much. Yeah, well, it literally started as a joke. <laughs> as a, oh, yeah, we should definitely do a podcast. Oh, okay, we're doing a podcast now. But we have been foreshadowing, we've been building up. Any other kind of build-up language that you can think of has been culminating to this point. Drum roll, please. It is the Shoe Ramp podcast time. It's finally time. It's finally here. It we're is. unleashed. I'm ready to unleash. <laughs> and I feel like, and we spotted this whilst we were getting ready to record, today you're going to be privileged. If you normally listen to us on Spotify or Apple, today you will actually be privileged to a proper video podcast I'm as not well. sure that's a privilege. It is a privilege. <laughs> it is a damn privilege. We have got the red corner and the blue corner today. So <laughs> Defence versus offence. And seeing as we don't have an MC to introduce us, shall we do some introductions or shall I? How about we introduce each other? So today in the blue corner, we have got distance running international megastar Kieran Clements and his stance against the Nike Vaporfly. Play Vaporfly. Vaporfly. We're going to have to get that one right if we're going to do this. <laughs> and in the red corner, we have got sub five minute miler Steadfast Runners podcast extraordinaire, <laughs> YouTube sensation, and Vaporfly fanboy, Sam Wade. I think we should start with a bit of history. Of course. My Car- favourite subject in school, except for PE and drama and music drama. and, you know, all of the fun ones that you just piss <laughs> about in. History was my favourite proper subject. Okay. Well, let's start with some history. Not too far back, but I want you to cast your mind back to 2008. I can probably just about remember that far back, yeah. 12 years ago now, which sounds really... 12 years ago. It sounds a lot longer than I expect in my own mind, but 12 years ago, (laughs) and we talk about 2008, and I want to start specifically with the Beijing Olympics. Not because these things, the shoes here, were an issue, but there was a very similar situation with a piece of technology that was relatively new, It started breaking records. It got a lot of attention, some good and some bad. And it's one of the first parallels that people go to now when they talk about the development of technology in sport and they talk specifically about these shoes. Yep. Now, for anyone who doesn't know the story, back in 2008, the swimming events in the Olympics were starting to be smashed. The records were starting to be taken apart. And a lot of that was being attributed to what Speedo, obviously one of those big companies in the swimming world, called their laser racer. And the whole... Did they, did they had some kind of nickname for it, like shark skin or something like that? Well, that's, that's it. The whole idea of the technology was it was supposed to be shark skinish in the way that it repelled water it was uh what's the almost like aquaphobic i think they called it or something like that like it was <laughs> which is amazing yeah it, it was little yeah, it was literally the whole idea of it was it was essentially it made you so streamlined that you were able to glide through the water much easier with I, a lot less effort basically or something like that or less resistance yeah and i think if you really dig into it it was designed that this 
technology was almost supposed to trap air bubbles or something in it so you almost had like wow. a pocket of air around you okay you so along. you're also more buoyant then yeah okay wow so that would obviously be massively performance enhancing for swimmers yeah and we will be referring to our notes as we go along here because we don't know anything about swimming well you say that i swam to <laughs> I, at don't least know. A, I, I swam to a county level at least there um, we go and i swam to the other side of the pool just about <laughs> on holiday <Go> on. <laughs> on holiday to get his beer yeah <laughs> um, exactly but yeah, so so um, I've, I, I did a bit of homework ahead of this, and I've got on my notes here that the materials that they used was it was actually helped with the development of NASA. It was all these kind of technical implements that you just think it sounds way over the top, but it all contributes eventually into this suit that we got. And the idea was that it compressed the body as well, okay. um, which was supposed to be better for your muscles. So longer during long jong, excuse me. During, during long longer sessions events, yep. and things like that. Um, and from trying to confide, I'm really not good with my words though, geez. Um, <laughs> trying, You're nervous. I am, yeah. I'm nervous and excited. Trying to find parallels between this and obviously the shoes that have been famously talked about with their 4% increase. Well, I think the, the parallel that we can quite clearly draw is that it was a massive performance enhancer. And what them, those swimsuits essentially did is made all records until that 2008 Olympics where they kind of debuted and made the real big showing where they cracked a bunch of world records. It made all performances until that point almost irrelevant yeah. because you weren't comparing the athletes. You were comparing before and after the technology. And I yeah. think that the shoes is getting to the point where you have to compare times before and after the shoes because an athlete in them versus an athlete, the same athlete not in them, the performance disparity is absolutely massive. Yeah, well, this is really interesting. So uh, a name that is going to instantly spring to mind with this is Michael Phelps and the whole USA team. Yep. And the USA team were kind of at the forefront of all of this because Speedo, USA company, etc. Um, and they went on, I think Michael Phelps, he won eight gold medals that year. I think he broke seven world records out of those eight medals so which i suppose is kind of you expect that from michael phelps really but, but, the, but this was the one that kind of kicked it off am i right in thinking that yeah you talk about eras his before first and after big, yeah yeah you, there is this before and after thing um and here we go so i've got in the olympics 25 world records were broken right <laughs> and 23 of those swimmers who broke those records or 23 of those records were set using these laser suits so there, there is there is no way that you could say it didn't correspond to no, there's absolutely, there's that's clear empirical evidence, isn't it? It's like if you look at some of the statistical studies on the shoes, it, there's obvious evidence that... Here's, 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 another, go here's another good one I've got in my notes. And with 18 months of the suits being released, because I think they were released a year beforehand at the World Championships, as with these things go, they want to get, yeah. it, get it sort of... Um, well, there'll be some athletes in prototypes and things like that, and then yeah. they'll become they more get and more people get onto it. Yeah. yeah, they want it field tested in the build-up to the big competition. Yeah. Right, here we go. In the 18 months... Um, since the suits released, 93 records were broken. I mean, that's just, that's otherworldly. Yeah. Um, and we're complaining about a few records on the roads being broken oh no. in these. Uh, but here you go. This is where it starts to get really ridiculous is that some swimmers ended up wearing two suits to get double the compression. Wow. So people were literally, there was... So these these records, just people will probably shoot me if I don't ask you, are they national records or and like sort of 
you know area records or are these all 93 world records so a in lot different of, events so you swimming has a ton of events doesn't it it's got relays it's got all different distances yeah so so from the homework that i did it's important to to note that in swimming you've got two different courses they call it short course and long course so that's a 25 meter pool which is like 50, your local yeah. pool and your 50 meter pool which is olympics so as far as i'm aware the 93 is across both courses mm-hmm um, and that will be anything across from, men and women as well. Yeah, men, women, and it's I think Relays anything and things like so they're, they're across, likely to be ninety three world records. Yeah, or or at least if not world records, extremely high standing records. So like national national level. records. And then, yeah, you know, and and obviously you get like you know multi. I don't know if you get like multi state, like tri county state or tri state records and things <laughs> like that. Just what, I'm sure I'm sure some countries. I know Australia, for example, keep state records. I think America probably do as well. Exactly. Um, so we're talking whether they'd be notable enough to appear in something like that uh, in the 93 total. But we're talking it's up to speculation. But that uh, a record is a record, isn't it? You're going faster than anyone has ever gone before, and there's only so much of that that you can. Yeah. have before it's like hang on that's not a coincidence people aren't just better than they were here we go yeah so then a couple of bits that i want to talk about just quickly with the suits just to see kind of what the future of them was and how we can maybe draw parallels to what might happen or will happen with the shoes in the future or has already or has already yeah we can obviously talk about it i wrote here here we are, watching some of the 2008 olympic races specifically the men's four by 100 freestyle everybody was wearing the same suit or everybody was wearing a full, like a full length suit, basically. Mm-hmm. So everyone was wearing them. So I think that's a really interesting point because then you could almost say it almost goes back to just the performance of the athletes. If everyone's wearing the same, does it then level out the field? As long as everyone's yeah. in the well, same. Well, that's, that's one of the arguments. We might as well just bring this onto the shoes then because that's one of the arguments that a lot of people make is it is a level playing field because anyone... Unless you're at the very elite level and you're sponsored to the point where you're tied to another brand that doesn't yet have that shoe out, everyone is welcome to wear the Vaporflies. Yeah. The next percent. Everyone is welcome to wear them. You're on a level playing field. But for me, that doesn't aren't that doesn't solve the question. That doesn't solve the problem of it being that specific athlete's performance. Yeah. And okay. it doesn't solve the problem of comparability, like it being comparable to previous performances especially previous previous performances within the same era. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? So yeah. well, somebody, an athlete in 2015 could be in the same shape in 2020 and could be running two, three minutes quicker over, say, a marathon. Yeah. And what there also is, which I don't know if we've even discussed together before, but I've heard well, a few discussions go. and had a few discussions about. Here we go. Is as with any training stimulus, so for example, altitude training or even PEDs, for example, to take it mm-hmm. down a slightly more sordid route, yeah. there's a spectrum of how much people respond to wearing these shoes. And okay. there's a spectrum of how enhancing, how much they would enhance that performance. So, yeah, you have your outliers that are, you know, two, three standard deviations above the average responder, which has been set at four or five percent. So, some people would respond, you know, eight, nine, ten. There's probably somebody out there that responds 15, 20% to these things. Wow. So they'd go and they'd run a marathon and they'd run it, who knows, 30 minutes quicker, something ridiculous like that. That's an extreme example and probably would come from a lower end of the field. But talking about the elite end of the field, if you had someone who is an elite athlete and a high, 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 like outlying responder to these shoes, like that's when you get to the point where you could have a complete unknown 
or somewhat unknown that is good enough to be in the elite field go out and break a world record and well the world record for the women's half marathon was set the other day and i didn't have a clue who that runner was to the point where i can't even remember their name you didn't even know it happened i I wasn't excited (laughs) about it and we could even end the podcast there and that's why it's a bad thing for the sport yeah but what i'm the point that i'm getting at there is that there's a spectrum of response and so it doesn't really how fair does that really make it yeah because there's a growing kind of school of thought that there are people that don't respond at all. That performance is actually not enhanced at all by wearing these shoes. Yeah. I'm yet to see anyone like that, but I'm sure there is. I would, yeah, it would be interesting. And, and you do ask yourself questions. You do, you can't not. And especially if we if we localize it again back to the shoes, you have to say if Kipchoge, when he set like the sub two thing, if he didn't have a crazy pair of these prototype shoes on, would his time have been different? I go back Absolutely. to I go back to obviously all the r- recent road records we've had with the 10k and the 5k world records, um, and even Bekele's marathon in Berlin. Yeah, you think obviously he struggled with a few races and things like that. Would he have managed to get that same spring in his step and finish so strongly had he been in different shoes? And um, my personal thoughts on that is absolutely not. Uh, I think Bekele in those shoes versus Bekele in, let's just say a pair of Nike streaks is a different athlete. Wow. I think Bekele is, I think actually Kipchoge, it's a bold claim, but I don't think he's that high of a responder. Because if you look, when he was wearing, I think so. Yeah, yeah. well, when he was wearing Adidas shoes and you say what you want about the boost foam and stuff like that, it's about a 1% performance enhancer. And we'll get deeper into that. (laughs) Stern look, yeah. Yeah, we'll get a little deeper into that later on in the pod. But Kipchoge was still running, you know, 203 in Adidas shoes. Yeah. And you've got to believe that Kipchoge now, I think, is still a better athlete over the marathon than yeah. he was then because he was I, coming somewhat fresh off of the track. He's definitely getting a performance enhancement out of the 4% and next percent and the alpha flies that he used for the Breaking 2 project. But I don't think it's on, again, we're going back to this spectrum. I don't think he's as far along the spectrum as somebody like a Bekele or like the woman whose name I've forgotten again, who broke the half marathon world record. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. And I think it would be, what would be great is if you could give the average person on the street, say like, right, go and run a 400 time or a mile time or an anything time, then clip on a pair of different shoes and just sort of get an idea for a good platitude of people and across ability. Like at Parkrun, for example, it'd be great to say to everybody at Parkrun, imagine a concrete Parkrun road course Mm. or something. Just say, right, everybody can run one week in their normal shoes, everybody in their next week go and run in these and and sort of get get it across the levels and see see how people react. Yeah, I mean, the thing with that is trying to apply that to the elite level doesn't quite work out, but it it would apply, I mean, you'd you'd get a kind of a gauge of what they're like for, for kind of the masses, but... On the elite level, I don't think you can use mass participation runners as okay. your data sample, personally. No, fair enough. Um, just to bring it back to swimming, and then I think we can sort of start to move on, because what I want to do with this pod is is kind of do it into chapters. So I want to introduce the shoes, and obviously we've really jumped into it, but I want to talk a little bit about... It's hard not to. It's so juicy. It is juicy. It is juicy. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about 
the history and where they've come from and obviously kind of what they've done so far yeah. talk a little bit about the actual shoes and like i said we've got a pair with us and uh, i should state that this particular pair are box fresh and they've come from <laughs> friend of the show and listener mama g georgia who we've shouted out on this pod before yeah so thanks again georgia yes thank you for the lend i promise not to uh return them or cut with, up with and... holes in them yeah <laughs> um but yeah just to just to bring it back to swimming FINA, who are like the regulatory body for um, international swimming, mm -hmm. they jumped on it pretty sharpish after the Olympics. They did what the IAAF should have done. So yeah, so basically these suits, I think, were announced or released in 2007. And by 2000, I think by late 2009, they jumped in and set regulation because they'd seen what happened in the Olympics. It was a real eye opener for them. And then they said, right, we're going to, we're going to, do some rules and interesting i wrote down some of those rules to see if it's just something that we can compare to because basically they were talking about these suits were almost being done as one piece like almost like the best way i can describe it is you know like a big kind of like latex glove you put on for cleaning stuff or for surgery or something like that they were almost like that almost like one big rubber kind of suit eventually okay. so they said it has to be a woven textile so caveats that they put in they said it has to be a woven material didn't specify what but it had to be woven, so you couldn't basically just make this one completely one big stretchy thing. And yeah, yeah, so that. that. Um, and they also allow they they cut because if you look at the Michael Phelps records from two thousand and eight, you see them in like these full length suits. It's all the way from the yeah the from, shoulders to the from ankles, your ankles basically. to your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they restricted that. So for uh, men, they said it can only go from waist down to your knees. Right. And for ladies, obviously, it could go from your shoulders. And I think they shoulders allowed it down to, I think, knee length as well. I think they... Okay, so the women are still allowed to compete in a one-piece. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Because, I mean, they could have gone another way with that and had to say you had to expose a certain amount of yeah of middle, but... Yeah, um, so so it was really interesting that they, they jumped in and they did this. But, and this is the last thing I'll say on the swimming things, and I think this is something that you'll probably be quite surprised at, and I think it bodes interestingly for eras that we've talked about, obviously since before and after, is that since the ban has come in, or since the regulations have come in, I've written it here, 29 out of the 42 kind of what I'd call mainstream world records, I think there's 42 disciplines, right. basically, 29 of the current world records have been set since they introduced those suits they introduced the regulations i should say the new suits and are those records faster than the ones that were done in the suits yeah or were the re or were the records in the suits wiped out no 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 record no none of the suit records were wiped out they okay. said right we'll let everything stand but subsequently since then 29 so obviously that's not a whole whitewash there's still i mean let's do the maths very quickly what's that 13 14 13, 13. yeah <laughs> you should have been able to do that quicker i should have go on it's i'm not very well hydrated um but yeah, there's more, the majority of those records since 2008, since these mythical suits have actually been broken. And that's a fair, from when I looked, it's a fair distribution as well across men, women, short course, longer course, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, but I, I say short course, longer course, that's over the long course, the 50 meter things. I didn't really get into short course because I want to try and keep it Olympic level. Yeah, well, that's fair. But I'm, I thought, I'm I, sure if you roughly double it, it's probably not a million miles off. So, But I thought that was really interesting to talk about like a before and after era. I thought to have the majority of these things, even with the advancements that those suits gave, to see that those records have seen improvements since then, since they brought in these new regulations. Obviously, you can still make... The current thing you know technology you can make it out of the 
well i guess if it if it's a woven textile yeah like they said you can make it kind yeah. of anything you can make it i can't remember what the word you said was for water resistant or like yeah aquaphobic, aquaphobic. I I used, but it sounds funny but yeah. but yeah but, but essentially my my kind of point is that there's probably still hope so if you're looking in yeah. despair there could still be hope that whatever in regulations they introduce and we can maybe talk about those that there is still some opportunity for some real quality performance well, yeah, no, absolutely. But well, the regulations that they've set that we'll got on that we'll get onto later, not much is really going to change. But I still do believe people have run fast, and they will continue to be able to do so. And like, whilst yeah, there is a small advantage for wearing these, I don't see why I personally, for example, don't have the ability to compete in you know my regular shoes. Yeah, yeah, and it's it it is interesting, like I say, to to talk about what we're talking about, just to talk about it in eras we're at that maybe blurred line at that's the, moment. the that's the hardest bit is that they're not they kind of are the norm but they're becoming the norm they're yeah. not the norm yet but how will will history remember you know when people talk about like golden eras of certain sports yeah. will people remember this kind of you know in between because i'm sure there was an in between for example between moving from cinder to tartan tracks yeah tartan track is obviously much quicker because you're not the cinders aren't breaking up and you're not having to run essentially through mud in the second half of a long distance yeah, you're race not, you're not wheel spinning but i don't i know roughly when the time frame was when that switch was made but i don't remember you know any there being any controversy obviously i don't remember it because i wasn't born at the time but i don't I've never read anything about there being controversy. I've never read anything about there being kind of, oh, well, this athlete has access to a tartan track and this one doesn't. It's not fair. Whereas, yeah, no, I think maybe maybe in five or maybe even less, maybe two or three years time, you won't be able to buy a racing flat that doesn't have a carbon fiber plate in it. Yeah, and we'll have to, like I say, we'll just have to remember this as a before and after and we'll have to see i would say uh, will there be any significant records that go unbroken but at the moment i the men's marathon the women's marathon the half marathons well the- they're all these the thing is the fact is with the uh, the rules that the IAAF have laid down is at least these are here to stay yeah so records and performances will never be the same again there is a before and after yeah perfectly interesting i think that we've obviously talked a lot about that and I, I i do think it's really important to talk about those the, the swimming as a sport because i feel like running potentially could have maybe learned from the swimming a little bit earlier um because yeah. this is because <laughs> preach into the choir this is 10 this is obviously 10 years ago that this all happened now it feels like that because there was its own level of controversy but i feel maybe swimming is one of those sports that I don't know, maybe it's a little bit less in the mainstream because you don't see, like the London Marathon obviously takes up a whole city, 40,000 people a year competing it. Whereas with swimming, there are lots of people that swim, but you don't necessarily have those big, it is really only the Olympics that I think people who don't follow it suddenly take note. Mm. I I think that's fair to say. Maybe maybe running's the same for a lot of people, but... Well, let's... I think that those kind of queries can be answered by us jumping into the real history of the shoes now. Like we've talked about the swimming and we've drawn parallels there. But if we talk about where these came from and what their kind of origin was, I think that will unlock quite a few doors as to where the IAAF could have and should have stepped in. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point. And and having a look at them and seeing... the, The first thing that really strikes me is this is only actually the kind of the first or second time that i've actually handled these shoes Mm -hmm. 
is they kind of break a lot of my expectations of what a shoe just in general looks like. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, no, I kind of do. I mean, the first time I saw or I mean, I've seen tons of them, but the first time I actually got to hold a pair, yeah, it is kind of like, oh. That is, okay. that is the thing that jumps out at me straight away. You don't expect away. them to be quite so rigid, for example. Well, this is it. And I mean, from, from a kind of a first impression standpoint, they are shockingly light. Yes. If, if I go and get my Adidas... Well, because you hear carbon sort of fiber plate, yeah. you think, oh, metal. <laughs> you expect it to be heavy, don't you? But it's, it's not exactly... People aren't going to run world record marathons in a pair of steel toe cap boots. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I just, you know, if I was just going to get a pair of what I'd call kind of off-the-shelf running shoes for 50 quid, mm. it, it doesn't look like one of them. The whole shape of it is different and the, the lightness. I mean, th- this, is, this is, I think, a size 7, but we've held a size 11 pair of these shoes as well. Which, They're still light as a feather. Which yeah. just, yeah, and that even felt more surprising because you look at it and you go, well, there's a lot more there. It feels like this one feels quite nicely balanced, but the other one just felt so light. Yeah. Um, and the shape of them as well. I mean, I don't know if, if you're watching this pod and you've not had the opportunity to see one of these properly one have you been living under a rock and two um they're kind of what i'd call the front of them almost looks like it bends off to one side you can see there yeah the sort of the front of the foot i'm only ever used to seeing that part of i don't know what you'd call that the sort of the sole that kind of bends up at the yeah, front. yeah you're used to seeing it dead in the middle yeah you are yeah. literally only ever seeing that at 12 o'clock and here it's almost at one o'clock um, again the same sort of story with the laces as well if I spin that round you can see the laces are sort of off to one side the kind of 11 o'clock I guess um, and just the shape of this I mean that is such a unique shape looking at the actual the whole thing I mean all of them they're manufactured for maximum maximum performance yeah there's and- yeah there, there's nothing there's not an inch of that shoe that isn't performance-driven yeah yeah, that isn't performance-driven that isn't there by purpose yeah and it's just it's such a unique looking and feeling thing and i haven't worn any of these on my feet to run in um but everyone i know that has obviously has their has their own opinions um Mm -hmm. well i mean they they change the way you run there's no two ways about it i mean i've not run in a pair of them either but literally everyone i've spoken to has reported that it does change the way you run it does encourage you to run in a way that is more conducive to high performance yeah so anyway we i'm concerned that was that, a tangent there we were supposed to be talking about history I, I know well i think we're talking about history but we're just talking about what we've got in front of us and like i say for me it's almost kind of a reaction to them but mm. but let's let's talk about the history we've got a, um so let's i'll jump in here and the first time to my knowledge that these shoes were used in a race was the u.s olympic marathon trials in 2016 and the most controversial case of that is and they did the same thing in the Olympics, which we'll get onto, is that they disguised them. And we'll have to, you'll have to do some t- editing and stuff and get a picture up here of the streaks. So they disguised them as Nike's current marathon racing flat, which was the Nike, I think it's LT Streaks. They disguised the 4%, this was the 4% version, to look like that and gave them to the Nike athletes running in the Olympic marathon trials. And it had a massive effect on the women's race because Cara Goucher, who I'm not sure, I want to say she was Brooks sponsored at the time. Either way, she wasn't sponsored by Nike, lost out to Amy Craig, who I think is now Amy Craig Hastings, and Shalane Flanagan, finished fourth, didn't get her spot on the Olympic team, but I think was an amount behind Flanagan. I'd have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure she was an amount behind Flanagan that would have meant without the alleged enhancement from those shoes she would have made the team so and finished were, third. So if you were to work out percentages of their times, you think they might be in that sort of fabled 4% kind it's, of territory? 
well four percent is the i think is the return on economy right so the actual performance benefit is i think around one or two which is i mean that's still quite a large difference over the marathon if you take two percent of a marathon that's a long way yeah well two percent of 26 miles off the top of my head that's i mean it's going to be probably in the what hundreds of meters you'd have thought yeah could couple of hundred meters which you know that's at the pace that they'd be running 40 45 yeah about 40 seconds and i'm pretty sure she was about 30 35 seconds behind shalane flanagan that day someone's going to look it up and comment being like actually (laughs) the point is and i've heard this from the like from the horse's mouth from cara goucher's mouth she's obviously very vocal about this sort of thing because she was hard done by she lost out she missed going to the olympics again because somebody else was in a superior pair of shoes not because she wasn't you know one of the best three athletes on that day and And i think that's wrong well yeah it's interesting to hear it from your side of kind of i guess you've personified it and humanized it a little bit there because i just go from my perspective and this is where we can go is i go right well brilliant now we've got these shoes we've got records being broken we've got people running faster than ever like exciting stuff and for me as a spectator that had never really given it a second thought. Because it, you're thinking kind of, oh, it's cool to see people run fast. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you kind of, you forget the, that there are, well, the, they're people. They're people yeah. that are running fast. And if you're not, if you don't have the access to those, especially when you're under the impression that somebody is running in a normal shoe and that they're just beating you because they're better than you and it turns out they'd had their performance enhanced, that to me is no different than finishing the race and finding out that somebody had beaten me had failed a drugs test. Yeah, well, that to me is the exact same thing because they're well, technically they were breaking the rules because the IAAF rules at that time stated that you were not allowed to run in prototypes. Shoes had yeah. to be reasonably available to all. They were not reasonably available to anyone. They were reasonably available to Nike's chosen athletes. I see. Yeah, and and like you say, to be naughty, to hide them in a in a similar color scheme. Them. Yeah, that's the exact set. We need to get that picture. I, I will go and hunt. Well, from from memory, <laughs> from memory, and again, I will look something. Try and include an image on there. Is if you imagine how these are sort of like that kind of you, half of them's pink. I think the back half of them is pink, and the forefoot yeah, is yellow. They're basically, um, they just copied the design and just put it on the 4%. And copy, just, yeah, just copy, hope copy nobody paste noticed. the printer. <laughs> literally, literally just copy and pasted it. And yeah, as if that wasn't bad enough that they did it at the trials to kind of decide who was going to make the US Olympic team. They did it at the Olympics. So this is interesting. See, I didn't know this because I, the first that I knew about these shoes was in Breaking 2, obviously, which we've talked about so much during mm. this pod. And, and kind which of is what a year after to... all of, over a year after all of this. I mean, the Olympic yeah. marathon trials for the US I mean they're coming up this weekend and it's what's the date today February 24th 25th? 24th today yeah February 24th today the Olympic trials are on Saturday and think about how far it is from the Olympics and then imagine breaking two then being the year after that yeah it's insane yeah. and he ran London Marathon early the breaking two was late that year is that right? Am I right? It was. It that? was no. It was mid mid year. I'd say. I'd say it was. I think. April but he had already. Oh, it was okay. Yeah. No, I think he, he missed out. He missed he out. He missed on London. He did run Berlin. However, yeah, it's it's interesting to it's interesting to then bring up and say, with those sports, 
the people that finished in the top three, I think we're all wearing the same shoes. In the men's in Olympic the men's, marathon. Yeah, yeah, in the men's marathon. All Olympics. wearing the 4% disguised as the streak. Naughty. But then <laughs> to talk about breaking two very briefly, and again, something that I've written on my notes is that, and this is something I said well, earlier. This is when is they that, introduced it to the general public. This is when they stopped being sneaky about it because they had <laughs> created an event that was kind of off the books showcase, for all intents yeah. and purposes. Yeah, like it was, they were a prototype for an event that was a marketing scheme yeah basically uh, well and 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 a test of human performance yeah which well now we know it was mostly human performance partly aided yeah. but yeah like that's fine i'm fine you use whatever you want if you want to have a gimmicky event to try and break a barrier strap a pair of rockets to his heels <laughs> i don't care but it's when it spills over into you know when you're taking medals and olympic opportunities away from people and that transcends down to say if you want to make your county team yeah for an inter-counties road race for example something like that and i i don't know if they do send county team i mean i know they send area teams to road races so for example scotland west or right you know east of england all have teams the army have a team for example if you lose out if you're competing for the last spot on that team and you lose out because somebody else is wearing these shoes and you just don't have them or you can't afford them or whatever the reason that you don't have them is, that shouldn't be the reason that you're losing in a competition. It should be about human performance, not about who has the best gear. Yeah, and and I think that's that's obviously a very humanized point and again like i say the fact that you've humanized that and personified it has made me think a little bit differently actually about it um <laughs> we'll keep you in the red corner for the purpose of the podcast yeah but. well yeah i mean but that was going to be my next thing and talking about the history i didn't actually appreciate that they went that the history went quite as far back as that. obviously i was sort mm. of you're, you're going back 12 months before i sort of really thought that the whole experience and history of them started um, I have put on my notes there about people that have worn other types of prototypes and in mm-hmm. uh, from other brands as well. I might add, and I put Ooh. in I put in here um, that Kip Sang wore, and we won't talk about obviously his most recent allegations. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in 2017, the Tokyo Marathon, he won. Apparently, he was wearing a pair of Adidas prototypes. Okay, and apparently, the Boston Marathon winner, I think it was it might have been the ladies winner, was wearing a 20. Um, beg your pardon. 2017 Boston Marathon winner was wearing a pair of Brooks prototypes. So this is clearly... Was that... That wasn't the year that Des Linden, was it? I can't it, remember it? off the top of my head. But my point is that it's it's very easy to lump a lot of accusation and blame on Nike straight away. Yes. But are they the only people doing it? No, absolutely not. Everyone was doing it. And I, it doesn't make it better that everyone was doing it. But yeah, I guess it takes some of the pressure off of Nike. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing that I'll say about the whole <laughs> podcast. But yeah, everyone was doing it and everyone was in the wrong, which is why like, it, was, it was just ridiculous. Like People were just, I, they were taking the... Yeah. Taking the Michael. Taking the Michael, there you go. They were, take, they were taking the Michael and it was just a free-for-all. Anyone could run in whatever they wanted. And despite the rule being there, there was no enforcing, which gives me so little confidence that they're going to enforce this new rule. Okay, well, should we talk about the new rule a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the rest of the history of it is basically, it's common knowledge, isn't it? Like they brought it out for breaking two, then they actually released it, then the next percents come along, suddenly everyone's running world records and PBs. History, done. Let's talk about these new rules. So the IAAF finally step in. How long did it take them? Four years? 
It's something crazy like An that. entire Olympic cycle. Okay, yeah, when you word it like that, <laughs> sounds ridiculous. a lot more shocking. I think, where, where did the initial pressure come from, though? Because when we talk about the Breaking 2 project and things like that, there was naturally controversy, but I think that was surrounding the final result of that. I didn't notice it personally being a real conversation in the mainstream for a little bit after that. So I think basically it's just, it's snowballed, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, after Breaking 2, I didn't give a second thought to the shoes. I didn't think, oh yeah, it's all because of them. Because there were so many other variables that had been hyped up. Yeah. There was the lasers for the pacing. There was the formation of the pacemakers. There was the fact yeah. that they did it at Monza or at yeah. stupid o'clock in the morning because they wanted the perfect conditions. And everything was... Engineered. Was engineered, yeah, yeah. to the nth degree to make it the perfect scenario. And I think that all really diluted the perception of the effect of what the shoes had yeah. on Kipchoge's performance that day. I mean, yeah, I mean, and also the performance was mind-blowing at the time. Yeah. At the time, I think the world record was what? It was 202.50 something? Yeah, 202.57. It was Kometo. Yeah, so he was then two and a half half minutes under the world record, or two minutes under the world record, which is massive at the time. Eye-opening, yeah. Now, if I saw somebody run two flat 25 in just a road race i wouldn't be that surprised yeah well if kipchoge right, does it would, it, it, would be, kipchoge it would be it would be a world record a by a minute but i just yeah. still wouldn't be surprised well, because it, we know of the effect of of these things but at the time it was massive so we were all so blown away by the performance we didn't really think what it was attributed to and also we, there was just a lack of data yeah because only he had worn those shoes and well to our knowledge <laughs> only he had worn those shoes <laughs> And got the benefit from them. But the more data that was gathered and the more studies that were done, and I think the biggest thing where we kind of realized that, yes, these do have a massive performance-enhancing effect, was that they were released to the masses, to the general public, and to the sub-elite, and people started running massive times, massive PBs. I think that's had as much or more impact in terms of gathering data to empirically prove that they are performance-enhancing on a scale that we've never seen before yeah. than any world records or elite performances that we've seen. I think it's the fact that we can now, I mean, you saw the study from the times or was it the time, the New York times, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there we go. The New York times where they just, they gathered thousands and thousands of records and compared them. And they'd done cross analysis of people who had run in, let's just say, for example, a pair of Brooks shoes. And then they bought the vapor flies and then run a marathon in a pair of those They'd done it across different distances, genders, all sorts of things. And it was just a ridiculous effect size. Yeah. Like there's clearly so much performance enhancement from wearing these. And yeah, like I said earlier, it is on a spectrum. Some people respond more, some people respond less. But on average, like there's a pretty big performance gain. Well, let's then talk about how there are now these new rules. Obviously, we talked about it with swimming let's just quickly clarify the rules that the IAAF have brought in to adjust to try and police what's going on basically yeah Yeah. exactly so I think and I'll this is the only time I'm going to mention it because I don't think it needs to be highlighted too much and it is just speculation on my part I don't think that this is going to be policed well at all 
Okay, well, why don't you explain what you mean about that? And I think it'll be interesting. I think we, well, okay, it's not going to be the only time I'm going to mention it. We'll get into it a little bit because there are reasons for why I do say that. Well, yeah, just explain. And I think I, I think we need to explain the rule to then for me to get into the reason. So, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, literally, yeah. grab grab a shoe and talk th- talk, talk through. <laughs> I'll grab it, one as well. Yeah, literally talk through what we're talking about. So, I think the most obvious one. I know the first bit that you're going to jump to and something I think we even talked about on a previous pod Go on. is this idea of stack height was going to be the first thing. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think they've been really soft on. Really, really soft on. So they've it's, ruled... It's It's very soft. Well, it's, it's got to be to be light enough. Um, sorry, Sam was just fondling the shoe. That was a cheap for, shot. Wasn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> for those who are watching, could have Go seen on. him. Uh, yeah. So a 40 millimeter, 40 millimeter stack height. These that we've got here... There are, I think there are around 36. We haven't got the ruler out and measured them, but the next percent on average is about 36 millimeter stack height. First of all, if you want to keep these in circulation, IAAF, why not draw the line right there at 36? Why are you giving them an extra four millimeters to work with? Four millimeters to an engineer is infinite amounts of space. <laughs> you know how much they can do with that, with the manipulation of the plate yeah. in these to make sure, to give you those extra performance enhancements? Well, I'd be interested. Let's say you took like an average size shoe like this. I mean, this is a size seven. If you were to give another four mil on this, like the angle of the plate you could play with and all sorts. You so could, much. And you could potentially have a lot of fun with it. And, I, and to talk about engineers, another one of the parallels that's been drawn a lot when you talk about the technology standpoint is obviously F1. Yeah. If you said to if you said to somebody, the thing F1, with F one is there's so much regulation as yeah. well, and it's strict regulation to make sure that it's on as level of a playing field as possible. Yeah. Which, to be fair, in F one, it's not. But 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 my point was again was actually backing you up a little bit and said if you were to go to an F one engineer and said you know here's another X amount of percent, here's another four mil, here's another yeah. well, four kilograms, you can either lose or, or lose or use, or here's another. I don't know, 400cc you can cram into the engine. All, yeah. that, all those sorts of things. It would make all the difference, day. wouldn't it? Yeah, let's day. say, so who's, I don't really follow F1 that closely, but Mercedes is generally, they're like the best ones, aren't they? Lewis Hamilton's C- team. Certainly in recent years, yeah. Yeah, so if you gave that kind of, let's say a similar type of margin to someone like Force India, it'll yeah. be really interesting to see what they did with that. Because yeah. imagine, yeah, it's something like, yeah, Force India, you guys have four millimetres more in i don't know in, something in yeah, yeah. something that's performance enhancing and yeah whatever they get that mercedes doesn't and then suddenly force india start winning the team championships there of, would be up of grand prix yeah, yeah they'd be, be outrageous <laughs> but it, the same thing has kind of happened because especially since all the patents that they've slapped on this yeah but basically uh, what's I mean, we don't know how much performance the alpha fly which we'll get into in a bit is going to have but i mean the same thing could happen again it could be another exponential massive leap forward yeah and well do you know what and i'm going to play the devil's advocate here and put some points to you though because obviously we've talked about how the stack height's been regulated and Mm -hmm. one of the other rules that they have said is that there is only going to be you're only allowed i think the language they use specifically is one rigid full length plate I think yep. is what they've said. Um, Through the, but you are allowed another plate on the bottom. This is for, well, we're getting into track spikes here. You are allowed for track spikes a stack height of 30 millimeters and another plate on the bottom only for the purpose of attaching spikes. Okay, yeah, fair. And so that's on the, um, oh, do you know what? I can't remember. It's not the Viper flies. It's the long distance Probably ones. But turbo, I, turbo flies or something silly like that, <laughs> they call them. Um, but, but 
to talk about this, uh, this is not something that's necessarily brand new in terms of the technology that's been in here that the IDF, IFF has ignored because I think Hoka, have, they had a prototype in 2015 and Puma and Feeler apparently have all used carbon fibre. Yeah, well, there's plenty of... In I their mean, old shoes. Yeah, so in terms of the history of using carbon fibre, they've had carbon fibre in shoes since like the 90s, for yeah. example when back then a racing flat was as minimalist as possible. You know, yeah. they had the smallest stack height as possible. They wanted to be lightweight, minimalist. I don't know why they did it, but they chucked a carbon fiber plate in there and it had absolutely no performance enhancement whatsoever. Okay, yeah. Because it's the foam, that it's the reaction from the foam. It's the combo of the carbon fiber plate and also it was flat as well. So yeah. it wasn't manipulated. It wasn't bent in a way that kind of helps you return energy. So I get it, it's yeah. the combination of the bending of the plate and the fact that it's sandwiched between this super light, super springy foam. That's what gives you the energy return. So yeah. carbon fiber plates in previous shoes, let's just say pre-2017, it's for all intents and purposes useless. Okay, so then... But the shoes that Hoka have recently brought out, which are the yeah. Carbon X and... I think Carbon Rocket. Is something Carbon name, yeah. Rocket, I think yeah. so as well. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty good. Yeah. They seem to be doing similar things to what these are. I mean, a good example is Scott Farble, who ran 209 in the Boston Marathon. Uh, right. The American guy who he'll be racing in the US Olympic trials this Saturday. And he's one of the favorites to make the team. And... Sorry if you don't make it and I've jinxed you, but I think he's going to make the team Yeah, for well, America. And he's, you know, he, he runs for another company that's not Nike. He's lucky that he runs for Hoka and not, say, for example, Adidas. They yeah. don't have a carbon fiber shoe yet. They have one in development. Whether it's any good or not, who knows? Who knows? So, yeah, I think, you know, to talk about the IAAF again, just for, from from where we started, it, it seems interesting because, like I say, it's, well, should if, we talk about the IAAF in relation to shoe companies? Because that's going to get juicy. Uh, well, I think it's I think it's good to good to see, good to sort of talk about it with some brutal honesty to say that it does seem very much like it's been targeted to let this shoe let this shoe slip through the gaps. Um, Not just to let it slip through the gaps. I don't think if they wanted to just let it slip through the gaps, I think we would have seen the stack height set at thirty six. Yeah. If they wanted to address the problem and take away performance benefits given by, you know, carbon fiber and foam, special foams and stuff like that, why not just set it at thirty? Yeah. Okay. The four percent. If I was racing against somebody in next percents and I was racing against somebody in four percents. I would have, you know, I wouldn't be that bothered. I don't care about racing people in 4% because I don't think they're as good as these. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'd still rather have them wear, you know, the same shoes as me. Just both of us wear a pair of Adios, for example, or yeah, just whatever the, up, the yeah. Nike equivalent of that is probably the streaks. Yeah. That would be the ideal scenario. And then it's just, you know, my body versus your body. But I understand that that's not realistic. His, However, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, well, why Why would they not just set it at 30 and just say, right, world record set in the next percents, that's nullified. But all of you guys that have run PBs and stuff like that, that's fine. People say, oh, well, what are you going to do about somebody who's coming, you know, 400th in the London Marathon wearing a pair of next percents anyway? I don't really care, yeah, <laughs> to okay. be honest. Like, the, where it's annoying me is, like, an elite field for the London Marathon, and I know because I've been through this experience, Yeah, there's quite rigorous checks in the days before, and there's technical meetings where you have to bring your kit. Okay, you can didn't just know bring, that. Yeah, you have to bring in your kit, you have to tell them what you're wearing like a decent chunk of time in advance, you have to register your vest, 
all of that sort of thing and your shorts no and your sponsors you have to make sure all of your sponsor stuff is on there and there's nothing extra that you're not allowed and you have to bring all of that stuff to the technical meeting bring your shoes with you and it's just the same as a referee running his hand along your studs before a football game yeah. somebody just comes along you give them to whoever it is let's just call them the shoe clerk yeah at the technical meeting they've got a tape measure or a ruler or something like that they measure the stack height of your midsole if it's cool then they'll i don't know tag your shoe with something or other maybe it's just a a band that they put around the lace something yeah. like that you know with london marathon or whatever major marathon it is you can do that at pretty much any road race with an elite field. No road race, to my knowledge, except for maybe the US Olympic Marathon Trials, has a larger field, elite field than about 50. Yeah, and I guess the good thing that you talked about doing it that way around is that it's... The masses can wear what they want. It, it, well, and not even that. I was, I was just going to say it's, it's quick as well. Yeah. Obviously, we talked about this. You know, there's... If you talk about... If you say, oh, stack height is 40, but then we've got all of these regulations about carbon plates and things like this, and this is what we talked about earlier beforehand. Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to... When somebody goes into anti-doping, are they going to have to go for... Go. Give a urine sample and then hand in your shoes so you're walking around barefoot, probably <laughs> stepping in other athletes' <laughs> you can we'll blurt that out <laughs> they're walking around yeah just in their bare feet whilst they're giving this urine sample whilst yeah. they have to send off their shoes to somebody to put them through the a carbon fiber plate isn't going to show up on an x-ray so they have to send their shoes off to an mri which is going to cost god no, knows who much, knows yeah. how much yeah. plus mra machines i don't know how many people have experience of them but and i don't know how many road racers have access to them so they have say, to give not, them their well, racing shoes well, have not, them be sent small, away for testing they? and then have them sent back to them. So if you have two races in two weeks, sorry, but you're just going to have to buy two pairs of shoes <laughs> if you want to run in the elite field. Like, it's just mindless. It doesn't make any sense to me yeah. why they've set that rule. And like, why bother? Why not just say, have as many carbon fiber plates as you want because we have no way of checking. <laughs> if, I was, if I was a major shoe company and I was giving... Uh, hell yeah i'd just chuck as much if i thought it was going to benefit them i'd just chuck three four plates however many in there because no one's going to test it yeah well do you know what here we go this is something that i'll just make quickly before i think we should just move on go is on. that if i were going to do the rules and i'd be interested to hear what you might just say about if, if obviously you've made your point about how you would do it <laughs> i'd have grown if, a pair of balls and set the stack high at 30 <laughs> but go on <laughs> if if i was going to do the rules i i'm generally on the favor on on the fan side of letting them do what you want is because technology always will need to update regardless of your professional field. But why not make it a little bit more like F1? Because if in F1, they give you X, Y, and Z regulation, but a lot of cars, they look broadly the same, but there are a lot of differences. Mm. What about if they said you're allowed X amount of volume of certain materials? So they said you can use, I don't know how much carbon fiber weight weighs, I say 10, 20, 30 grams, something like that. Say you had 30 grams. Say this Say this had 30 grams of carbon fiber in it, right? Yep. If they said you can make it whatever shape you want, but you have to keep within the 30 gram limit, I think that would be interesting because then you might get one like this, which is a full length, but then you might get someone who does half length and then fold it over. I know that's against one of the it's new against diet, the current but, rules, but again, but if you did they're it, not going to check, so you can do what you want, shoe but, companies. <laughs> but then again, if you did it that way round, like I said, that that could be a really interesting way to do it because then there's no there's no set rules, and that's when you can almost turn it into you can almost make the mechanical advantages. I don't want to say part of the fun, but you can make it you can make them different enough that people actually have to stop and think 
that's what I would choose. Like at the moment, it's obvious yeah. you choose these because these are the only ones really that are making the difference. But the but the format well, seems to change. I'd beg to differ that you know the Hoka shoes are pretty good. The Brooks Hyperions that they're looking to bring out look to be quite good. Saucony yeah. have a very good prototype as well. I think the Adidas ones when they come out will be good. I've had a few people ask me if I'll be wearing them. Currently, the answer is no, but that may change. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a fortune change. teller. Yeah. It may have to change just so that I can keep up with all of y'all wearing these things. Yeah. Um. I mean, my main issue with the thing about regulating them through weight is just nobody wants a heavy pair of shoes like they, they're going to slow yeah. you down there's finding the balance between performance yeah. enhancement and my know, it being yeah. the right weight which i reckon nike have probably already done a great deal of research into i'm sure i'm sure and do you know what they probably have got that design nailed because otherwise it would be in a stat shape but i just think it'd be interesting if, if you let them play a little bit more with certain rules, but you regulated other other factors of it. So you could end up with some weird and wacky looking shoes just to, just, just to see if it made a difference. Yeah. Just to see if you gave somebody, instead of saying full length, it can be half length, but you can double it over just to see if that made it any quicker. Because then all of a sudden, you might then have two or three different shoe companies with two or three different designs that are creating various results. And that could be a way for... Like you say, people who maybe didn't know about the shoes or didn't have the opportunity to run quick, it could it could just change it up a little bit. And it could, certainly from a concept point of view, maybe if you're getting really, really, you know, oh, this is my job and that's your your side of it. But certainly mm. from my side of it, the job, that, you know, the side that cares a little bit less about what you earn and a little bit more about what I get to watch, selfishly, <laughs> it could just be more exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a, maybe there's a market for just completely splitting it up and having having different events that are more about the shoes than about you know the athletes well that's interesting and, and we will move on in a moment but the last point that i'll make is when we talked about kipchoge's uh breaking two thing we we talked about breaking two or ineos we talked about will it get to a point where you could have shoe companies almost doing like there's an adidas team versus a nike team things like that and that's yeah that's yeah. something that maybe you and i have, said. have yeah the shoe olympics and then the people olympics but you could you could you could do it and you could engineer it as essentially just as a corporate entity as a bit of fun in the same way they have in the same way they have what i call high performance strange races like you've seen it before where yeah. they built where they've built like you know 300 meter race tracks to race certain athletes that would never normally compete like i think i can't remember who it was but michael johnson raced somebody once they designed like a specific yeah, I think I think yeah, you're thinking of the similar thing. They calculated the best distance for like Mo Farah to race against Usain Bolt was like 539 meters or something like. Exactly, like you yeah, could, you could have a little bit of fun with it, and it's a way that you could you could release a shoe for you know me running that's never never going to affect you. Yep. but it could something like that could just be a really entertaining way to market it, and if they held it every year or something like that, it could just be a way to get ideas to influence the legal shoes in the same way that concept cars that you see at the Geneva Motor Show, they never <laughs> end up parked down your road, but they do. But they're there for kind of a, a concept, exactly. basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, on similar lines to that, I mean, there's obviously a clear performance enhancement, for example, for being dragged to a time by a dog. Right. You know, I mean, you've complained about them in the past, actually. When you go to a park run, somebody's got a dog strapped to them and that dog pulls them to a time about three minutes quicker than they're able to actually run. That's funny. Now, I'm pretty sure the world record for a five a dog-assisted 5K is quicker than Kenanisa Bekele's 12.37 record on the track. Is it really? I think so. And I'm pretty sure it's done by somebody whose normal 
kind of just somebody look this up and comment because I might be talking complete rubbish here. Either way, people have run surprisingly fast <laughs> being assisted by animals. I mean, we had it in the news the other day, I didn't saw that, we? Yeah. Man gets pulled by a bull to run faster than Usain Bolt. What's I, I want to ask you as somebody who's in favor of the shoes, what's the difference between that and having something performance enhancing on your foot? Why can't I go out and run the London Marathon in 156 getting pulled along by... <laughs> the, the car yeah, in front, but, um, yeah, the camera car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. I think I think the reason is... Be- you've stumped me slightly, but I feel <laughs> I like... I thought I might. But, yeah, but I guess I think... I guess you think of it differently because you think of the performance level is so different from a car or a cow to a human being, whereas at least regardless of... You know, at that top end... Well, it's, you're still a human being doing the running. You're just being, you know, pulled along. Yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's, still, in... my, it's still my legs doing that. Okay. That's, covering inter- that distance. It is, yeah. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting point, but I guess you'd argue that there's a different force pulling on you maybe. This is, I guess this is an upward force from your feet, whereas <laughs> this is it. I don't know. It's interesting. It is yeah. very, very interesting. Here's... I think the biggest argument that you could make is that that power isn't all generated by you. But yeah. I could then counter that by saying like, because of the energy like return from being, these, yeah. there's a certain amount of power that you know, you're know you partially responsible for, but you are being gifted a certain amount of power back to you. Okay, well, here's my... Here we are. going to get juicy now. Sure. Right. Here is my counterpoint to talk about technology, right? Is the obviously we're being recorded by camera equipment right now. I've been a photographer for God knows how long. I can take great pictures with my phone or with with a old school throwaway camera. I can take better pictures than somebody who's got no photography experience can. Okay. Yep. I would argue though that if say I'm going to go out and shoot a wedding, um, I there's almost because it's my profession. I almost have a degree of responsibility to get the best equipment I can to aid me so what i mean by that is if i like right now we're shooting on a very expensive lens right because i think that's going to give me the best quality i can achieve for this situation whereas actually that's quite funny because i literally said earlier is i don't care if we just do this all on a gopro (laughs) whereas you were like no no we want quality we want production like we owe it to the people that are spending their time watching this exactly so my counterpoint right to, to what you've just said from the in favor side from the red corner right is if i turned up to a wedding and i took a load of pictures for the couple that were getting married but i took them on rubbish equipment they might look at that and then they might go out and look at someone else's pictures and go well hang on a moment that's these don't look as good and then i'd have to get into oh well the equipment i had wasn't good and if i had had it that might look a little bit better but from a technicality standpoint you know like the 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 aperture and this and that and all those sort of words that you could use you could you could technically argue that it was an equivalent performance from me, like I pointed the yeah, camera in the same inter- way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if you turn around, I bet you if you charge the couple the sort of money that wedding photographers charge people mm. and you turn around and said, well, look, I didn't have that equipment to make the most of my situation. It's almost like me going to a race and let's say running a 29 minute 10K and trying to argue for the time bonus as if I had run a 28 yeah, minute 10K they, because they, if I was wearing next percents, yeah. I would have run 28. Uh, too right. And, and I'll tell you what, the couple would turn straight around to me and go, well, that's your problem. Get better equipment. You <laughs> have a responsibility to get better equipment. So my point is, is that if the best quality photography lenses, these things are available to you, mm-hmm 
and it's your kind of duty. To, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you grasp them with both hands? And because you can get like the lens that I'm shooting on now, you can get even more enhanced, ridiculous versions of that. That's the best one that I can have at the moment. The best one that you can afford. Yeah. And do you do you but, feel, do you feel though that there are people with your skill level that are doing better than you in your industry because they can afford better better equipment? Potentially, potentially, but but, but is the, that right? Is that the way it should be? But the thing let's is, let's say, well, I mean, this is to a certain extent your livelihood. Would you not be more comfortable if? Instead of sitting in a conservatory, we were sitting in a giant mansion. Or a giant studio, yeah. Or a giant with, with studio, lighting, yeah. But yeah. maybe if you'd made a bit more money off your last photography job, we could have it. We yeah, could be if you'd had some better equipment. But this is it, and this is this is this is <laughs> it's the, so, there's no wrong answers here. Yeah, this no, is I the, agree. This is the beauty of this debate. Yeah, it's it's is it's. But that's that's my thing is that you can kind of look at it as the gear envy though is a real thing and i think yeah. something that we can talk about and and this is uh, and to to say as well actually it's something we should have mentioned right at the start of the pod we are actually going to go out live and get some opinions of yes of other people and everyone else on these shoes and what they offer or what they don't offer um but but that's it is it if if you have that opportunity available to you why shouldn't you do it? But if you don't have that opportunity available to you, what kind of pressures maybe does that put on you? You've obviously just talked about the pressure because I'd say if, if if somebody took rubbish pictures and I said, well, actually, I took something similar and they said, oh, I wish I had your equipment. You turn around and go, that's your problem, not mine. In the same way that <laughs> you, know, you have abjectly refused to run in shoes like this at the moment. But if you turned, if they had like a halfway house that Adidas sent you or Nike sent you and you said, look, that's the best ones that we're going to send you. Yeah. You wouldn't turn around and go, no, I won't use those. It's the best or nothing. <laughs> you'd, you'd go, okay, well, I'll use them because I want to get yeah. better. Yeah, well, I mean, and I am currently running in what I get sent. Yeah. Like that's because I don't want to go out and pay 250 pounds for a pair of shoes because yeah. I'm living a lifestyle at the moment where that's, you know, potentially not a good financial Decision. decision for me yeah. yeah well let's talk about and, and something that i this this came up a lot actually when i was doing my swimming research as we talked about at the start of the pod and it came up a little bit as you, we, you know we'll see when we go and speak to people um you know on on the track on the street as it were <laughs> in the real world um is pressure from parents and financial decisions and things like that if you ban yeah. if you know let's say you banned these shoes does it level up the playing field for people maybe supporting the athletes as well well, actually, it's quite funny that you talk about pressure from parents and, you know, financial obligations of parents, because what you probably don't know what happened the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Armagh 5K is the British under 20 record was broken, right, for the 5K. And I think there was about three or four others that have slotted into the top 10 all time British British 5K runners. Right, okay. Which, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, these guys are obviously really good runners and they're got working futures, really hard. Yeah. They've got big futures, yeah. But they're, like, what? they're not that much better than everyone that's come before them, you know? And you think that it's it's undeniable that the shoes have, have jumped them up. Massive. They were the all ratings. wearing them. They were all wearing the next percent. And yeah. yeah, were they not wearing them? I don't think we see a British record. I don't think we see three or four in the top 10. One, a couple of them, or maybe one or two of them, might even listen to this and they might get offended. Like, I'm not attacking these guys, and this is why I'm not naming them because I like it is an incredible performance and they deserve all of the accolades and any benefits that they get from it because this is the current situation. And if I was younger, I probably would do the same thing. It's because I've been in the sport so long, I think, that I'm 
reluctant to to change because it's the way I've always known it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that what you've talked about there has just raised a really interesting point in my mind. And I think maybe we could use this point just to round this part of the pod off before we go out and talk to people. Go on. Um, and that is your concern as an athlete is these things are taking money out of your pocket potentially if, if you're lined up on the start line to a race and somebody who's got it's partially it's partially that and it's kind of it's just changed the integrity of the sport changing the integrity of the sport but if the option's there you can take it and it will help you do better mm. competitive sometimes you know you win you lose like surely sport in its in its nature has some days and has some things that flat out will make you do better or do worse like I don't, there's your kind of stubborn moralness almost to go, well, I won't use these shoes yet. If people are literally taking the money out of your pocket because you can't, you know, you finish in the top four instead of in the top three, for example, mm-hmm. where does your pride need to take a hit and just say, well, sport, you know, because you, you don't win every race you enter. Why can't, yeah, that, do you see what I'm trying to get a point yeah, here? Yeah, no, it's, point, I see exactly the point you're making. My and point is... is it's, this is a discussion I've had with my coach about a million really, times yeah. as well. And it's getting to the point where it's not, are we going to pull the trigger? It's kind of, when are we going to pull the trigger? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, he shares my views, thankfully. Um, so we are on the same page with stuff like this. And the reason that we're not comfortable and I'm not comfortable with this type of technology is primarily and this is i think we can have this as my final thought before we go to interviews is the integrity of the sport is or the whole meaning of distance running as a sport is human performance it's a test of human limits bringing in technology that drastically enhances this and i'm not saying don't run with shoes on like obviously you have to wear shoes because otherwise you'll break your feet some dusty ethiopian yeah exactly and i don't want people coming and being like oh but shorts as kit and that could be performance enhancing yeah Yeah, stuff like that like wear your vest and your shorts and wear a pair of shoes but something that changes your performance so drastically like this suddenly it doesn't become about human performance it becomes about human performance aided by technology so when you're on the start line and you're racing against an athlete in the exact same shape as you, it's not who's better on that day. It's, it's like, it kind of is because, you know, you could be that much better on that day that you undo the performance effects of this. Yeah. But more, more than, more likely 99 times out of a hundred, it's who's got the right footwear on that day. And you could argue, yeah, if you both wear the same footwear, it's about who's better on that day. But why should you have to? Why should it be about that? When I see a performance, I should think, wow, that athlete has just done a great performance. I shouldn't immediately think, oh, I wonder what shoes they're wearing. Yeah, that's, yeah, very fair point. And that is something that, well, that was something that was so significant with the 10K record, wasn't it, that we talked about when that yeah, was broken? Is yeah, the, the, was wearing the, yeah, mm-hmm. wearing the Adidas Takumi. Do you know what? I, here's, here's, a, here's a wager. We won't test it because it sounds, it sounds long trying to test it. I thought we were going to talk about testing him. We no, won't no, talk no. about that. Cause... No, no, no. No, that's, that's something, somebody who gets paid considerably more than us needs to go and, <laughs> yeah, you know, turn that leaf. My point is... I. If you went out there and you followed a running club, we followed anyone kind of who's in the know of this sort of thing, and maybe to the same degree that you or I are, or somewhere between our our sort of um, experience levels, which I think probably most of our listeners fall somewhere in that. Yeah, you know that gap. Here's one for you: Do you think 
I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I started again. I started for these shoes. I'm starting to feel. I'm starting to feel like I should have a much bigger case against them after this pod. I feel like <laughs> yes. I've lost this debate. I've won the argument. Rubbish. I'm still. <laughs> still going to. I'm still going to run two fifty nine in these bad boys in London. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but no. My point is, is how many people do you reckon would. If you said, what's the 10K record? They go, oh yeah, I heard about that the other day. He broke it. He wasn't wearing the Nikes. He was wearing Adidas. How many people do you think would not know his name, but would know that he was running in Adidas shoes rather than these things? Solid amount, I'd say. Well, I think the women's half marathon world record speaks for itself, doesn't it? I Yeah. By the way, disclaimer, it's a world record, but it's not the fastest time ever run by a female in the half marathon. Oh, because, because of uh, yeah, and the... The point-to-point running. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. At, um, at the Great North Run yeah, sure. last year. But she beat Bridget Koskai in the race. This girl whose name still eludes us. We don't know who she is, but we know that she beat who has been kind of the undisputed king of the half marathon and marathon. Queen. Or queen, sorry. Say, yeah, correct yourself, Oops. Kieran. It's 2020. The undisputed queen. The royalty, basically. Yeah. Marathon and half marathon royalty within the context of the last couple of years. Yeah. She does not, Cross Guy does not lose. And then someone that I've never heard of, and maybe I'm being ignorant for not having heard of her. I don't think I am. Yeah. No, no, well, comes out and smashes the world record, beating her in the process. She's probably a super responder to these things. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Obviously, we've shared a lot of opinions on... Do you know what we haven't on, even talked about yet either? What's the that? men's 5K world record. Oh, what that happened the other day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we won't go. <laughs> I tell you, yeah, we won't. even talking about we've, it. We've got lots of news and things. Which I'm aware that this is going to be a longer pod anyway. But look, we've talked a lot about our opinions. We've talked about the history. We've actually covered yes. a hell of a lot in this time. I've still got so much more to say. I know as you well. do. I, I know bet you do, you maybe, do too. Maybe I tell you what, we'll record the extra bits. We'll do it as a bonus <laughs> pod. Or something. Yeah, there we go. Um, but I think yeah. Shall we now cut away from here and we'll go out onto the track? And we'll see what opinions some of our friends of the show, some local runners, some people of all different ability levels, yeah, even have. an athlete that I coach. So there we go. Even one of your yeah. If you're if you're listening to this pod as some somebody thinking, oh yeah, like I know who steadfast runners are. I know who Kieran is. Maybe he could coach me. And I'm battering the shoes that you love. You can still run in them. It's okay. It is allowed. But let, <laughs> let's go out. Uh, yeah, we've had a couple of guys wearing them that run PVs, yeah. and, and that's fine. We've had plenty of people run massive PVs that aren't actually wearing them as well. So this guy, there you go. Yeah, that guy. Plenty let's, of others. <laughs> let's go out and get the opinions of people in the real world on these Nike shoes. Right, so as promised, we have come down to the track to get some local opinions on. Da, 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 da. We have a pair with us, and we're going to be giving these to disclaimer, people. not mine, and not Kieran's, <laughs> no, not mine either, not yet at least. <laughs> Saving <laughs> uh, them for the big day in London. Yeah, to give to give these to to the guys here and to explain their thoughts and to get just a general bit of feedback on what's going on. I just want to talk a little bit about the significance of this track as well. So, this track is actually joined to the school where Kieran and I first met. It is. It's joined to Northgate High School where we met. It's also the track that the Ipswich Harriers use which is the club that I grew up running for in my teenage years before moving to America. It is also the track where Sam ran his sub five minute mile in 2018, was it? Summer 2018? Yes. Can't even remember it happened yeah. that long ago. <laughs> yeah, so this is a kind of important track for us and obviously it's an important track for all the guys trained today. You can see 
We've got some of the We've got kids running around behind us. Youngsters going on. People doing a pyramid session spread pretty much the entire way around the 400 meter track. It's all happening here. We're at the Ipswich Jaffa Club night. So thanks to them for having us down. Yes, and, and yeah, no, yeah, we're well, get we've. Some yeah, we've had a few uh, friends of the show that we've mentioned who are who are part of the Jaffa team. So it's really good, like Kieran says, to uh, to get them to let us rather down on their their track today for the session. I tell you one thing though, something that I've always said. I've said this to you when we did our top of the game podcast. I think when you Go take on. a pod on location, it's really important. Like if you're going to record on a track, you have to record on a track. If you're going to record at midnight. <laughs> You, you got to, to record, record it, midnight. Midnight. yeah. But and I'll tell you one thing. Apparently, if it's us, if you're going to do an on-location <laughs> pod, it has to be freezing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah this is going to be much more fun when we're doing this in the summer, I think. But I think so. It's going to be cool. We're going to see what some people think about these bad boys. Uh, I assume we'll have a fair few people on kind of both sides of the fence, maybe even some in the middle. Yeah. And yeah, let's see yeah. what let's see what everyone's got to say. All right, so we've got our first taker here. So just introduce yourself with your name and a little bit about yourself in running. Hi, I'm Ollie Watson. I've been a member of Jaffa for a couple of years now. Um, been out with yourself and Sam uh, a few times at the Steadfast uh, social, run. social Run. Yeah, yeah Ollie yeah. is a friend of Steadfast. We've shouted him out a good few yeah. times on the pod. And anyway, so I'm going to give you the, the shoes to hold and yep. have a little feel. What do you, th what do you reckon? How do they feel? Amazingly light. Amazingly, Amazingly light. light. Considering there's a big hunk of metal going through the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so have you run in the Vaporflies, the 4% or the next percent or anything like that before? Uh, I own a pair of 4% mm -hmm. um, and they are very springy. My name is Mark Allen, been, just been running for about three or four years. It's only my fourth half marathon. Somebody offered me a pair of 4% for 100 quid because they weren't getting up with them. <laughs> so uh, she said she hadn't used them much. So I thought, oh, I'll try them out. Went for three or four miles uh, along Ipswich docks just to try them out. And um, my VO2 max went up by three. My PB for half marathon was 126. And um, what is it now after running the yeah, Vaporflies? Uh, Great Bentley, I did 123.03. Uh, there we go. So. And, and what I found is, more than anything, they give you confidence. I was holding back the whole time thinking, I'm going to run out of energy soon, so I'm going quicker <laughs> than I usually do. Um, but I got to about eight or nine miles, still felt great. Everyone else around me seemed to be breathing heavily, so, so I ended up finishing stronger. Do they feel like any other shoe that you've run in before? Not at all. Not even the um, fly knits. Uh, they're just um, amazingly... Uh, springy. Uh, I think the Stetson 10k uh, which I ran uh, was in credit to the 4% as well uh, just by the amount of energy return given on them. Mm -hmm. uh, really really good. Does that make you kind of think about your performance a little differently than if you'd run it in like you say a pair of fly nets or are you still equally as happy with the PBs that you ran? Um, I think that probably with the uh, vapor flies I probably could have ran a bit faster um, on previous uh, records, so mm -hmm. I definitely say that they're quite a quite a good piece of kit. I'm Clive Sparks. I've been with Ipswich Jaffa uh, for over 35 years. Uh, used to be a runner, um, and now coach uh, several runners, um, mainly distance and including Helen Davies, who's Great Britain international marathon runner. So, from a coach's perspective knowing Helen before and after the shoes have come out, what kind of performance impact do you think they've had on her? Uh, they've already uh, had an impact because even at the age of 40, she's running personal bests and times that are better than when she was at her peak in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, undoubtedly, they are assisting her to, to run quickly um, from 
however they managed to do it. I wouldn't ask you to put a number on it, but do you think there is a significant kind of impact or do you think that there's a combination of that and a combination of her just maintaining very, very good shape throughout the years? There's no doubt that she trained as hard as she ever did before she had the children and her strength and conditioning has improved vastly. Mm -hmm. So there's been significant improvement anyway, but the couple of times that she's worn the shoe um, in, like in a half marathon, I think they've probably been worth a minute to her in, in a half marathon. I was going to ask you, you said you ran a three minute personal best out of the Great Brentley Half Marathon. About how much of that would you attribute to the shoes and how much would you attribute to just being in good shape and just executing a good race? Well, I, I thought I could get under 125. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking I'd be about 124 and a half. I think okay. I, I th about 50-50 I th then. Yeah, I think they showed, I, I think they sh would have shaved a good minute. It's, it's the confidence more than anything. I, I definitely yeah. ran a better race because I felt better in them. You definitely run differently. Okay, that's really interesting to hear. That is very interesting. But I like them, and I'll, I'm, I'm running Manchester, and I'll, I'll, I'll wear a pair. Now, from a coaching perspective, it would be really interesting to note, it, to note, do you think there's any changes in her biomechanics or anyone else that you coach that wears the shoes, biomechanics when they run in them? I haven't noticed anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not an expert in biomechanics, but <laughs> clearly I know, I know my runners and how they run. Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed anything particularly different. I have been told that... Yeah, the, the the shoes just make you feel comfortable and you don't tire as quickly in them. Yeah, there's an increased energy return, but yeah. I think you're right. I don't think there's any biomechanical alterations. I, I wouldn't train in them. You wouldn't train in them no, at all? I no. Train. I think a lot of people have been saying that yeah. because they offload in certain areas yeah. as well. Yeah. There's a bit of an injury risk for it as well. Do you think that that's, does that concern you at all, that it's such an unknown? Either the injury thing of my age, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair First time I ran in them, you, 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 you're leaning forward more. Okay. I, I run quite upright anyway, but they, they, they force you forward. They force you forward. Forces you to run exactly how they want you to run. In the broad scope of athletics, what do you think the impact these shoes have had is? Um, incredibly, sort of, I definitely say you look at some of the times, like Bridget Koskai's Chicago uh, mm -hmm. ones, uh, and definitely sort of marathon times on the whole, I'd say it's sort of been bringing times down improving performance a lot and would you say that's a good thing um i'd say it's it feels like an evolutionary aspect technologically i'd say that it's sort of making advancements and also um improving times um but i think yeah definitely sort of an improvement do you think that it's maybe encouraging or putting pressure on younger athletes who maybe rely on parental support or athletes that don't have quite the income to afford buying those shoes, do you think it puts an unfair amount of pressure on them? Maybe not at the moment because I think the greater benefits are coming the longer the distance you go mm. and the younger people probably won't be into those sorts of things but ultimately the pressure will work its way down from the elite runners down to your club runners and down to the kids who, let's face it anyway, I think always would want to pay a lot of money even for a, fas a fashion shoe that's not even a running shoe. And so the final question that we're just asking everybody today is, do you think that they're cheating? No. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. Um, I think they should have limits to how far they can go. As anyway. long as it's a level field, I think, well, it's technology, isn't it? According to World Athletics, no, <laughs> and 
so that that is that is the only real criteria that you can use yeah. uh, as a sort of an aged runner myself uh, there's many other things that benefit runners nowadays that some of us from the past wouldn't have so and it's not established as cheating there is now there's criteria they're within the criteria so yeah there's rules all you can do is follow them indeed right so we've moved inside because we couldn't bear it out there any longer but we're still getting people that want to talk about shoes of course uh, so just give us a quick introduction to who you are some of your running credentials and yeah we'll move on talk about some shoes uh, so I'm Jordan I've been a member of Jaffa for about two and a half three years uh, mainly focus on the half marathon distance at the moment currently training for Brighton Marathon which is in the end of April, my first full marathon. Oh wow, there we go, marathon debut. Yeah. So how's, how's the half been going for you lately? Yeah, half's been good. Um, took about four and a half minutes off my PB a few, a few weeks ago. Ooh, uh, big yeah, PB. Yeah, so <laughs> Tell us, Jordan, what was on your feet for that PB? Uh, I ran in a pair of next percents. <laughs> Finally um, got lucky and got a pair. Thought I'd give them a go. So I've managed to coax one of my own athletes and the owner of the demo shoes that we've been holding up in this video. Uh, we've got Steve Taylor with us here. Yeah. How are you doing, hey, Steve? I'm good, Karen. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good. Been chatting with people about shoes all night. Yes, my favorite thing. Yeah, so these are the <laughs> beloved shoes then. So what have you kind of found in terms of opinions from people so far? What's the feedback been? Well, the feedback has been obviously that they provide a huge performance benefit. We've had yeah. several people that have run massive PBs in them and I'm standing next to one of them here. Indeed. How much did you take off your, marath your half marathon the other day? Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was 129.20, which for me is like a 19-minute uh, mm. formal personal PB. Best. I have questioned if I wasn't wearing these, would I have dipped under 130 or not? So that's mm -hmm. something that plays in my mind a little <laughs> bit. But nonetheless, I think they um, delivered on the day. Decent shoe. They're so lightweight compared to the ones I train in as well. Yeah. Um, so for me, they're a big plus, to be fair. And Definitely. the thing is, they're just a race day shoe as well. I don't wear not these. A training shoe. They're not yeah. a training shoe. I think to train in them, you'd be a bit foolhardy because you'd be kind of swapping them out every month. My name's Nick Clark, part of the Jaffa Running Club. Um, only good enough to occasionally challenge for a, a park run win, if you call them a win. Oh, absolutely, um, it's a win. <laughs> <laughs> you get a bunch of people on a line running a certain distance, that to me is a race, I don't care what park I'll run I'll get says. in trouble for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the last time I did, I did a park run, I think I was assisted very heavily by the new trainers I got. Uh, wearing New Balance, uh, well, Zante Pursuit, I found they uh, had me rolling my foot forward and, and keeping me going in, in a forward direction. So okay. it's uh, um, definitely felt the technological benefit on these, but I've not You've never tried, run in the not vapor tried the before. Vaporfly or anything like that. And so what's been so far your reason for not met taking the plunge and buying the Vaporfly to, to run in them? Well, just priced out of it. So obviously the shoes are quite expensive. Yeah. What do you think about kind of the ethical things behind that of, you know, being readily available to all and you know the general how that generally applies to running shoes across the whole market shoes have definitely gone up in price since i started yeah i mean i think i used to spend i don't know 50 60 pound a pair of like pegasus standard mm -hmm. and then now i'm running turbos now so they're like the retail like 140 so you're like exactly. you are and then you're looking at you 200 plus pound for a, and for then a racing flat. 240 i mean i think the only reason i justified getting a pair was because it was my first marathon so i thought well mm -hmm. I'll, I'll justify a pair i feel like i'm running enough now to 
give a pair a go. It's like cycling, the way, the way that's going. You know, my neighbour spends more on his bike than, than I do on my car. And I, I'm <laughs> not prepared crazy. to join a, a sport like that. No, yeah. definitely. And uh, do you think that that's kind of a, an ethical issue within the sport? If I look at my daughter and, and she runs against her friends in school, now I could, if I wanted to, pay for her to have the best equipment mm -hmm. uh, there was. And, uh, you know, I can afford that. But the children she's running against, I know most of the families wouldn't be able to do that mm -hmm. and you know it just, it seem, just doesn't it just seem, seem quite right it doesn't seem quite right um, yeah it doesn't sit well with me either no. so. and i do find when i when i go on the start line at races i will see other people wearing you know far far better trainers than i do and mm -hmm. you know that, that's their choice do you feel that times now in races need to be compared pre and post vapor flight era even with the same athlete i think it would be good i think i i would like to see how I'd run now in a pair of my normal shoes as opposed mm -hmm. to racing in baby yeah. flies, definitely. See if, it, see if it had any impact or if it's just a psychological thing rather than yeah. physical. Yeah. It's interesting to have someone that is so new to running that your performance is now increasing at the same, that, like at the rate with the shoes increasing. So it's not a case of pre and post next percents and alpha flies for you. Yeah. It's almost a case of this is just the runner that you are. So what you have on your feet to a certain extent doesn't really matter. Yeah, understood. Which is yeah. where myself, I face quite a, quite a large dilemma because if I went out and ran a massive personal vest, I'd be wondering, is it me or is it the shoes? But for yourself, like y you don't know. Yeah. You don't you it's don't need to know because it's just it's it's you with the shoes and it's that's what it's always been. Yeah, they're part of my toolkit effectively. So yeah, let's look at it that way. So I suppose that's the reason why I like cross country mm -hmm. of all the running sports because it doesn't matter what you've got on your feet. I mean, all you need is six nails, really, and, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and then it's just you gets the elements, and, and then you find, you know, where your true place is in running, and, and surprise, surprise, Definitely. the people with more expensive trainers on the road tend to fall back a little bit, and, Absolutely. and, and, and others bubble to the top. Exactly, there we go, and I think a similar thing happens in the track as well. I do most of my racing on the track, and I find that I am exponentially much better because those that aren't that are getting the benefits from the shoes aren't getting it on the track. Yeah. I think a spike kind of levels the playing field. If you do have trainers which are so much better than the rest, it should be made available to everyone else. So, mm. you know, the recent ruling where they have to be made on general sale, was it four months beforehand? Four months, yeah. See, I, th I think that's a reasonable compromise. Uh, I think so, but I think also what that's done for this Olympics is it's kind of shot a lot of other brands in the foot because they now have to scramble to bring out what might potentially be either a non-existent or an inferior product to avoid having to run in a prototype at the Olympics but that's only at the very very highest yeah. level and uh, you know I think there's still ways they could improve the train I mean I was, I was looking at it today and I thought on the bottom well, the grips rubbish I was, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was thinking surely they're gonna be sliding around in the rain on that what you know why aren't there companies looking at uh, nano spikes or or one race rubber where you coat coat your train yeah. on that just to get that extra grip you know you have your, your qualifying trainer like you have your qualifying tires in f1 and yeah racing one yeah there exactly. we go and i'm sure these are all developments that nike yeah. are looking into and you told us an interesting story about your shoes do you want to tell that for some of the guys yeah so they actually fell apart after 10 miles so i went out i had gotten for christmas left it a few weeks ran a long run in them to 10 miles came back and the tick at the front started to crumble and it had just gone basically yeah, which it, is not really what you want after no, you spent 200 quid on a pair no, of shoes definitely not. i was literally looked down after the run i was like oh no they've started <laughs> to do the one thing i hope they wouldn't do so i literally have i've now sent them back and i haven't and i got a refund so they're from a 
performance point of view, they're really good, but from a structural point of view, they do have their flaws. There we go. And then final question that we're just asking everybody is, do you think the Vaporflies are cheating? Oh, I don't know if they're cheating. I'm not, I'm not sure if they're... Nah, I don't think they are cheating. I think <laughs> it's just everything's just moving along in, in time. It's like VAR in football. Everyone has it. It's not necessarily a cheat. It's just technology moving with the time. No, I don't think they're cheating. That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> what I thought you'd say. I'll tell I you something different off air, maybe. Yeah, I don't think we even need any more than that. Uh, we're running short on time here. They're setting up badminton behind us, so we should probably wrap up. I'll end with our final question that we're asking everybody is just a straight up yes or no. Do you think the shoes are cheating? No. Well, there it is. We're done. The shoe ran. <laughs> I uh, you know so much hype, so much build-up. Finally, we've got to explode and talk about all of the, <laughs> all of the stuff going on with these things. And do you know what? I could see us talking about this for a long, 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 long time as well. I, we yeah. haven't. Do you know what? It, since we've got going and trying to record everything, we've had to stop and we've had to go through bits. Uh, this is. But I must. I'll say actually, from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, if you're interested, making this a video podcast is actually a real tricky thing. But what it's had. What it's given us the opportunity today is we've stopped and done this in chunks and it's given us points to reflect on. We've There's probably a good amount of off-camera stuff that's pretty juicy as yeah, well. Yeah, we've <laughs> covered this on the fly as well. So it's been a really thought-provoking pod for me as well. To, to summarise, and I think we'll just do a quick summary and close. Right, is... Um, did you notice this? I just noticed this on the thing. This says this even says manufactured in the lab and verified by records. It says that on the shoe. Um, I'll put I'll put a close up. Actually, that. that really hurts for me to hear that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Proven by records. Ugh. What does it say? Yeah, it's all verified with. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Me- verified with medals and records. Just verified like. with ill-gotten Olympic medals. I'm pretty sure it says that in small print, doesn't <laughs> well, it? And I'll tell you what. If you've paid 250 quid for the verify, <laughs> that's adding insult to poverty as well. Um, but yeah, so I think my final thoughts. They're here to stay. There's no way around it. These things are here to stay. And I think from a overall standpoint that technology in sport is important. I think it helps it helps move things forward. And I, I do see it as a positive right now. My The negative side of things that Kieran's made me realize though, whoops, the negative things that I think it's made me realize though are maybe some of the human stories of people who have lost out on their position in a, dr- a dream place in the Olympics, for example, is, is yeah. a really significant or a thing or a medal. Um, but I do genuinely believe that the, it, the these aren't complete magic. People who are going to perform at the high end and have stood a good chance of coming at the top will, will they're, they're, I don't think yeah. they're mir- no, I don't think they're miracles is my point. They're not. They're still a good athlete that's in the shoes. Yeah. It's just a question of whether it's the best athlete. And I think it's summed up quite nicely in a tweet that I saw from someone who I consider a peer who I've had some fairly close races with in the last few years, where he basically just said, I don't know how much they contributed to my performance, but I felt that I had to wear them to keep up. I'm paraphrasing there, but Yeah, it's almost a psychological want- aspect, isn't it? as much as anything. It's just a... It's the reality, isn't it's, it? It's kind of something that you have to do for racing to become racing again. Um, yeah. And I'll continue until I make the jump to try and get the best out of my body. But I'm racing this weekend and I'm going into it thinking, right, I need to run the best race I can run on that day. And I'm not even thinking about anybody else. Yeah. Uh, well, something that I think to to finalise it, I think if you want to maybe look at things, let's hope that this technology doesn't translate 
quite the same way into the track because I think the real juice... Oh, it's begun. Well, I, well, I could has, do a but... whole new podcast on okay. just talking about how it's affecting the track now. But we'll... but, but let's, let's just hope that it doesn't have quite the same, you know, 4 5% dramatic effects mm. on the track. Let's hope that there are... Or maybe with cross country as well, let's hope that there are methods to keep things honest in other fields. If you consider these to be dishonest... Mm. maybe then the prominence of other things like the track and cross country are people's salvation slightly. Yes, definitely. And we saw quite a lot of that with the national cross country this year is a lot of the people who object to these, the performance enhancing elements of these shoes were really happy about the national cross country and they really enjoyed it. And they really thought like, okay, there's no hiding here. Like this is whoever's able to deal with the conditions on the the best on the day and whoever's the best athlete on the day is going to win. Yeah. Apart from shout out to Adam Hickey, who lost a shoe and still finished fourth. That was that's king, monstrous. That's seriously well played. Um, to summarize my final thoughts, I'll, I'll let you close this one off. But to summarize my final thoughts are right now, I'm at the point in my life where I can't justify spending 240 quid as these currently retail. In yeah. fact, I can't actually buy these because I don't, Nike don't even have them in my size available at the moment. <laughs> Um, I checked, reasonably available to all well there you go I, I thanks checked, IAAF <laughs> I, I checked that on this morning's uh, on the website this morning just, just in case um, but I, I can't personally justify running in a pair of these at the moment however if somebody turned around and said especially ahead of me running London in a worryingly close period of time ah, you've got ages loads of time <laughs> but if somebody turned around and said Sam I'm going to buy you a pair the amount of psychological uplift i feel i'd had i'd I'd stand on the line wearing them and feel like i've got every opportunity to absolutely nail the run knowing how much and then you'd look over to your left and see someone dressed as a giraffe who's keeping up (laughs) and reality would hit but but this is why they wouldn't be keeping up with you it's unfortunately you had to get in through a charity space so you're going to be amongst those sorts of people but 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 this is it beyond besides the point my my point is that i think it's really interesting to watch the development of these shoes i do agree with what you said is that at the highest level the responsible decision would have been just to just to realize what was happening a lot sooner but i don't think I don't honestly think that they're going to go anywhere. I don't think people should have their records taken off them. And I don't think they're cheating, genuinely. I don't think that a shoe can make so much difference that you should strip somebody of their record mm-hmm. and not let them run in a certain way. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, I won't be buying a pair anytime soon, put it that way. I won't be forking out for a pair of these in the time for London. Which, by the um, way, it's quite funny because out of the two of us, I'm actually probably the more likely to buy a pair of carbon fiber shoes yeah yeah <laughs> i'm so i'm obviously here here i am i'm in the blue corner yeah opposing the whole concept but yeah i i, I won't be buying them just from a financial situation point of view because yeah. because of what they are there it's a lot of pressure to put on my bank account at the moment yeah um and the that pressure here we go this is a good way to summarize it the pressure that that puts on my bank account at the moment is not worth, in my opinion at the moment, the two or three minutes that I might gain at the other end of a marathon. Yeah, there we go. That's, um, that's good. And well, <laughs> funnily enough, the they'd probably be an investment for me that I would get a return on. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but I, I believe in myself. I believe in my ability, not the shoe's ability. And I think that I can run, you know, quick enough without them. So... I'm going to back myself and I'm not going to buy them anytime soon or at least not in the very immediate future before I race again. But, you know, who knows? I could be sat here this time next year with some shiny new PBs and some carbon plated shoes. 
thinking, why did I wait so long? This but is it. Well, that's like what we said with Kachogi, isn't it? So if, if he did his thing, we'd turn around and we'd go, why were we even worried? You could turn around and go, I love racing in them. Why did I, why did it take me so long? Exactly. And like there's, as much as I've played the role of, uh, would I be agonist or antagonist? You'd be the, an- an- antagonist be the antagonist the bad guy, yeah. yep. The bad guy, either way, I've played the opposing role. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the bad guy, definitely. Uh, if anything, I've tried to take the moral high ground. You have, you have. forced myself into that position. Very it's, good. it's not the moral high ground because there is no moral high ground, really. Yeah. There's no right answers. These are here to stay and it's it's just going to be up to people to decide whether they want to keep up or whether they want to test themselves. That's the question that athletes are now faced with and I think that's what we should end on. I'm happy to do that. So... I think we should just say again, big thank you to Georgia, Mama G. Thank you so much for lending us these shoes that we've had. Big shout out to Steve for lending his us his shoes as we went out on the track. Yep, thank you, both of you guys. Yeah, thank you to everyone who obviously participated in the discussion when we went down to the track. Um, and really an opportunity that if you've got your thoughts on these, if we missed you at the track, if, if anything like that crops up in your opinion, you think we're right, you think we made good points, just get in touch, leave comments, leave ratings, um, go on Kieran's Instagram, the Steadfast Instagram, and, and comment about everything because this has been really fun to yeah, discuss definitely. as as it's all developed. Um, and I think we're even going to have more discussion. We can probably turn that into a little bonus pod. So I think we can maybe <laughs> sure we will. We can maybe put that together another time. But thank you again for listening, and we will catch up with you on the next one. See you later.